0: are the most important things about being a lawyer that they don't teach you in law school. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and when we return, my guests Ron Minkoff and Fran Hoffinger will tell you about a variety of things you should know about practicing law, but you probably didn't learn in school.
1: This ABA Journal Podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com.
0: When you go to the courthouse, you can get your filings done in about an hour, or you might be there all day. What are your thoughts on finding ways to get things done efficiently and effectively at the courthouse?
2: Well, first of all, now that things are, at least in New York, are e-filed, it actually saves a certain amount of things. But I have learned literally my first day of working that you need to always make friends with the clerks and the court officers because if you are, if you need to know something, then the clerks are the ones who will tell you where to get things done. Um, The other thing I recommend is that everybody get a list of all of the sort of clerks' offices. For example. There's a matrimonial support office. There are various clerks, and they're a little low staff now, but very often you can actually get somebody on the phone to tell you how to do something. So now there's more ways. There's also online forms, for example, and some of them give instructions as to how to do things. But the biggest thing is to have somebody in your office, if not you, go down to whatever courthouse you're dealing with and and check out where are the, where are the clerk's is. what are the various offices for. Um, you know, most of us who have staff, we don't even do that anymore. I mean, am I right, Ron? You don't run down and file stuff yourself
1: anymore. No, you? I know. But, you know, I, I started out doing it. I was, in, you know, I was in legal aid and legal services at the beginning of my career. And, you know, what, what Fran's saying is absolutely right. You have to make friends with the clerks. And the, the other key things are to treat them with respect, You know, I've seen a lot of lawyers treat clerks like they're the hired help, which is really a big mistake. Uh, They react very badly to that. And, um, you know, and to never lose your temper with them, no matter what, (laughs) no matter how provoking uh, the situation is or no matter how much pressure you feel yourself under, um, you know, they just don't react well to that. So you have to keep your cool. You have to treat them with respect. Uh, If you go going down there... Frequently, you know, you, you become friends with them in various ways, non-corrupt ways, and they'll help. You know, they, they really do view that as part of their job, uh, and they will help you.
2: And, and one thing that I think that new lawyers don't realize is that court officers, court officers usually graduate into clerks. So mm-hmm. I always made friends with all the court officers. When I say made friends, it's the same as Ron. Hello, how are you? Good morning. I always greet people. It's always nice. Um, I was also at Legal Aid, and so I tended to see the same group of court officers for long periods of time because I was assigned to particular courtrooms. But nonetheless, every courtroom I go into, I greet everybody. I always say hello. I always introduce myself to the clerk in the part. but I always – I'm very cordial to court officers, most of whom have, you know, know me by name. I know them, at least the ones that I've dealt with, because I notice now that the people that I knew 15 or 20 years ago, they're now the clerks. And it's wonderful to be able to go in and have a clerk who actually knows you or even just remembers you, just as uh, as, as Ron said, who knows you, who says, oh, I remember this person was very polite to me and very nice to me. They'll be helpful. And if you go in with pointed questions and not waste anybody's time but have a little, are a little organized about it, it makes things even easier. You go in with a specific question, I need to ha- get this filed, how do I do it? It's not that difficult, but you need to know who to ask. I, I find the biggest thing is is who do you ask at this point, not where do you go.
0: Mm. And do you think that's important for recent law school graduates who are starting to go to court to remember It's okay if you don't know, and it's okay to ask a question if you do it in a kind way and you're not wasting someone's time.
1: That's why they call it practicing, you know. You're not supposed to know everything. Um, After 30 years of doing this, I still don't know everything. And uh, being unafraid to ask questions is, uh, is very important because there are people who do know, and you have to know when you don't know, and you have to make sure you've, You know, you've done your homework. And just like, you know, you you have to know the rules of of the court that you're in. You have to lead them. Uh, You can't assume that they're the same, uh, that the rules in one courthouse are the same as they are in another courthouse. In our New York system particularly, which is so balkanized, you know, you just can't assume that the rules in the commercial part of the Supreme Court are the same as the rules in the non-commercial part of the Supreme Court. And, or the family court part, or or any of the others. They're all di- slightly different. So, uh, you know, you have to familiarize yourself with the rules and not be afraid to ask questions if if you're not sure.
2: I just want to jump in. One of the things that's very different um, from when Ron and I started practicing, and, and both of us have been practicing, he's been practicing a little longer than me, but we've both been practicing for a pretty long time, is that everything now is online. Um, in the past, um, I'd say five or six years, at least that I've noticed, All of the court part rules are online, and, again, it's knowing sort of where to go and what to do. So, for example, um, not only are there commercial part rules, but individual judges have particular rules, and you can find them in New York, for example. You can find them at the uh, Office of Court Administration site. There are places to find, and it's a good idea to know those things before you deal with the actual clerks themselves because then at least you have some idea of, of where the questions are and a lot of those questions are already answered. So in some ways it's easier in the um, in the computer age to do. When Ron and I started you have to go to each part to, to get the rules. Remember Ron? Yeah, Put somebody yeah. down and get 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 this this judge's you know rules because you know they would have them Xeroxed, but that would be it.
0: If you're going to file something online and you're pushing up against a deadline how much time should you give yourself in case there's any fiascos trying to file online?
1: Well, you know, it's getting better, uh, you know, and and uh, becoming more efficient as the uh, court system learns how to do it. You know, federal court is very smooth now. Uh, state court here in New York is getting better. So, you, I, you know, it, it's getting easier, and the fiascos happen less and less. But if you're still learning your way, uh, on how to do it, you know you really should give it give it uh you know sometimes a day in advance or at the very least in the morning <laughs> rather than in the afternoon so that when if things get bounced uh they they will you know you can refile them usually though even when things get bounced nobody'll hold it against you they'll they 'll uh the first filing will often be sufficient to satisfy everyone. They're pretty forgiving about that most of the time, but, you know, again, it will depend on which courthouse you're in.
2: I'm with Ron on that. I was just going to say our experience is that I also never leave anything to the last minute because I'm also neurotic. What if, you know, what if there's a power outage? What if our computers are down so I don't wait for the last minute? But what I want to say is that right now – it seems like when it first started, there was a big lag, particularly on the federal system. I noticed that if you filed something, you might not get a confirmation about it for several hours. So in, when we were doing a lot of filing on the federal system, we did ours early, just as, as, as Ron suggested, we did it in the morning so that we could make sure that it got filed. I found my experience with the, with the New York City courts right now, the state courts, is if you file something, you get confirmation very, very quickly and so you you would know very quickly whether or not there's a mistake maybe i 'm wrong, maybe i've just been filing at the right times
1: i've worked with a lot of lawyers over the years and um, and some of my current partners, some of my past partners uh, were people who were had a very different way of doing things than i do which uh, which was to wait and is to wait until the last minute to get things done and you know, they're great lawyers, uh, some people just need to kind of like wind up and wind up and wind up and then it all comes out and they give you an amazing product uh, right at the end, right at the deadline. The problem with doing that is that if there's something missing, uh, you're scrambling to, to fix it with very little time to do that and that puts, puts you in a bad place. So uh, one one example that came to, comes to mind is uh, I had a colleague who, a very good lawyer, she gave me something at the last minute, and I realized reading it that she hadn't found a particular line of cases that we needed to have in there. And we were scrambling around to find uh, this with like an hour. Uh, we only had an hour, and we didn't find what we were supposed to find, and it ended up coming back to haunt us. It was there but our failure to put it in our papers ended up becoming uh, a problem. Mm. So doing things at the last minute is always dangerous. Um, Filing things at the last minute is always dangerous because you're just increasing your risk threshold.
0: Okay. Let's switch gears a bit, and I wanted to ask you guys, and this is admittedly a broad question, but I wanted to talk about litigation strategy, and I suspect much of litigation strategy comes pre-trial, and I Don't think they teach much of that in law school, at least not most law schools. Um, Ron, do you have just a basic tip, or like, if can you sum up real quickly how young lawyers can get better at litigation strategy and getting the best result for their
1: client? Well, you know, uh, so much of it is based on experience uh, that it, it, you know, it's Do you think some of it
0: comes to people naturally? Perhaps some people have it and some people don't. Maybe well, always get better.
1: You can always get better, and, and uh, frankly, well, I've known people who are sort of natural trial lawyers in terms of standing up and being able to ask questions. Um, there, I, I haven't found too many people who are just natural strategists uh, because it, it requires. There's so many variables involved in strategizing. To me, everybody has a different style, but one of, the, for me, what's always worked is. Uh, to be a better strategist is to get in touch with the law that covers the case first, uh, to understand what it is that you need to prove or disprove, to understand what the cases say um, so that you can make good decisions uh, and, and start to strategize and think about the case that way. You know, you can't intuit your way through cases, especially when you're a young lawyer, because you just don't know enough to intuit So you have to get in touch with with the substantive case law and the procedural law that you have to know. You have to know the rules and you have to know what the cases say. And for me, that provided sort of the baseline that I would use to start creating strategy. You know, uh, if I looked at 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 a complaint and I saw there might be a statute of limitations issue, you know, I'd go and find out what the statute of limitations is and when it starts to run and all of that. And then I start to develop the strategy around how am I going to how am I going to uh, establish that defense. I think that's kind of a starting place. Other lawyers start with the facts. You know, they want to know everything, they, and then they'll figure out which, from a factual standpoint, you know, what they want to emphasize and what they don't want to emphasize. Um, my my problem with doing that is that's okay if you have at least some basis in the law and understand the the, the the basic law in the area that you're talking about. But if you don't, you're going to have a hard time making a, a strategy that's going to work without knowing what the law says. But uh, to develop your strategy, you know, start with the law.
2: And Fran, what do you think? In criminal work, everything's done in a very short time frame, and unlike a in a civil case where you can get extra time for certain things. Uh, in criminal cases, you're, you're much more limited. You have a, a court who's, a judge who's really on top of you. You have issues of, of um, speedy trial, and you may have a client in prison, and you'd like to get your client out of prison as quickly as possible. So you have to hit the deck running right away. So what generally happens in, in, in criminal cases in strategizing is slightly different because the first thing you need to do is you need to find out what is your client charged with then you need to find out what is the law you can go back and look at the statutes to see what's your client charged with so it's not that different in terms of familiarizing yourself with the law but in criminal cases very often your next step is to go speak to the prosecutor so you have that added step in there um i have to tell you i don't I don't know how you tell somebody. How, I'm, I'm with Ron on this, how you tell somebody how to strategize. I, I'm going to tell you that my, my advice to younger lawyers is know the law, know the facts, and try to attach yourself to an older lawyer who can um, show you around to some extent and, and, and listen in. I mean, I, I learned a lot of what I learned from from lawyers who are more senior than me. I couldn't have learned everything by myself. I listened. I watched. I I paid attention, I, you know, participated, but very often with an older lawyer, including when I was at Legal Aid, we first started by being attached to older lawyers. So you have to keep an eye out and watch what other people are doing. And in terms of the actual thinking, well, that, you know, that develops because of, your, of what's going on. And sometimes what you strategize early isn't really going to be what you end up doing at the end because sometimes you find something out in the middle that changes things. So you need to also keep an open mind about strategizing.
0: What's your advice on dealing with difficult clients? You want to be the best uh, lawyer you can for them, but you don't want to get too wrapped up in their personal problems, and that might make you not such a great lawyer for them.
2: Um, well, it depends on what the case is. Um, If you are – there are cases where, unfortunately, you are wrapped up in their personal problems. For example, in matrimonial cases, you really are wrapped up in their personal problems. But would you agree you have to set some kind of boundaries? Well, I think what happens is, and it goes back to you have to listen and see where your client is on a lot of things. Uh, One of the things that i found is that in, in criminal cases, you're not dealing with emotional in some ways. You're dealing with, in some ways, how do I get how do i how do I help this person and maybe save this person's wife so it's a different focus in civil cases and in matrimonial cases, for example, people are upset they are upset particularly if they're personally named or they're sued personally, or you know you're in the middle of a partnership fight, two partners who've been together for thirty years are breaking up and they're suing each other over whatever um, There is a certain amount that you have to let them unload, and then you have to at some point put the stops on it so I think For me, I'm just using a a matrimonial case as an example, I'll listen to a certain amount of it, and then I'll try to direct the client towards something practical to say, okay, I know you're very upset about this, but let's figure out how we can turn this into an advantage in something. So you you do have to kind of nudge them. And every once in a while I've had people who spend a long time telling me, Um, really kind of emotional things. And very often what I do is I say to them, do you have a therapist? Because I think that a lot of this is stuff that you're going to have to work out, that you should probably be working with your therapist, and then we can come up with a a way to focus it here. You know, you have to be careful um, because sometimes clients really do need to talk. And it's hard to figure out when to steer them off. It's not a good idea just to say, I can't deal with that. You know, go somewhere else because then they don't feel that you're listening to them. But you have to you have to feel your way through, and it's not it's not an easy thing to do.
1: Um, boundary issues are something that I personally have struggled with for forever, ever since I started to practice. Uh, I, I tend to represent people uh, as as a professional responsibility lawyer and before that as criminal lawyer. Uh, people whose lives are in turmoil, whose careers are in jeopardy, whose Law firms are in jeopardy, whose marriages are in jeopardy, um, and uh, whose best friendships are in jeopardy, whatever it is. And so it's a very emotional situation, and it requires, you know, some careful handling. And the key for me has always been to try to, you know, walk the line between uh, being, being there for them emotionally and available for them so that they know that they have somebody who's on their side and who understands where they're coming from and, uh, and also still being objective enough to be a good lawyer, a good legal advisor for them. Because sometimes you have to understand when they're just BSing you, you know, they're just, or what they're saying just isn't true, and they want to get you into their worldview, which is kind of dangerous.
0: I think there's also a bit sometimes you can tell a client something ten times and he or she may not listen. And sometimes it's not that they don't hear you, it's that they don't want to hear what you have to say. And what are your thoughts on telling your clients what they need to hear, even if they don't want to, and getting them to take it in and take your advice?
1: Well, you have to keep working. You know, uh, it's like any. It's like, look, this is you know, this is about persuading people, and you know, that's our job as lawyers is to persuade people, whether we're negotiating or whether we're litigating or whatever. And sometimes our job is to persuade our clients, and uh, sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. You know, I mean, the, every lawyer has been in a situation where they want a client to take a settlement, and the client won't. Yesterday I was on a call with a client who's, you know, being sued for not all that much money and can get rid of the case for substantially less, and yet he's so angry at the fact that he's been sued and that his co-defendant isn't being cooperative that he won't even consider getting rid of this case for the relatively small amount of money involved. And, um, you know, and, and he keeps saying, you're not looking at it from my point of view, and I'm saying, I am. I'm trying to protect you from spending a lot more money uh, then, you know, you're going to end up spending just to get rid of this and to get rid of the aggravation. But, you know, they want to keep fighting. So sometimes that's part of it. And um, you also have to know when to quit. Um, you have to know when, you know, the client is has the right to make a decision. It may not be the best decision, but it's their decision. And you have to know when to back off. And all of those things are things that take time to learn. Um, but you have to recognize that this is that you're most successful in this business if you're more a yes person than a no person in dealing with your clients.
2: Actually, this really depends on what kind of case you're dealing with, because, for example, um, if you're representing the company in a company in a criminal investigation or in a potential investigation, you do have to say no, because you have to say to them, you can't do X, Y, and Z, you know, there's there's a certain amount of knowing there, to, knowing there where to say, okay, these things you should not be doing, these things you cannot do, you know, etc. So that's sort of a quasi criminal or a criminal situation. Um, I'll tell you, I rarely push clients about settlements in civil cases because I feel like that's a very hard area. I kind of that's a, that's the hardest area in some ways to push them, and they may ask my advice, and I'll give them advice, but. The settlements, I I generally just personally tend to back off of a little bit and let the clients make the decisions, even though I very often will will suggest to them, you know, it's probably a good deal. And the reason I say is because that's dealing with money. When you're dealing with other issues, for example, in criminal cases, I'm much more, um, I think, firm and about suggesting to clients about really, you know, spending a, a, a huge amount of effort. If it's a situation where I think it will save their lives, really help them, whatever. I just find that in, in criminal cases, for example, clients want to get the cases done as quickly as possible because they're, they're under indictment, they're under, they've got criminal complaints against them, whatever it is. In civil cases, just as Ron said, there is this other psychology that goes on, and sometimes people don't want to let go. They're so into the fight that they don't want to let go, and you also have to understand the psychology of the adversary because the other person or the other party or whatever may have the same anger or whatever, and so you kind of have to understand both sides, and very often in civil cases, as Ron says, people don't want to let go. All right, and that's everything
0: I have for today. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.